as soft as it began by rubber soul o2 chapter 10 as it turns out finding an ancient tome on bloodletting rituals is much harder than hermione thought it would be she and draco spent their days buried in books sending letters to dean requesting more and ultimately finding nothing in them between the two of them they had read hundreds of tomes each week translating foreign dialects until the letters and symbols were scrambling themselves into a blur on the page, and swimming across the parchment, vowels and consonants dancing in the eyes that they could barely hear open. Hermione knows that if the ritual used by the Peveril brothers really was ancient dark magic, the book was going to be infinitely harder to find. Restricted tomes were almost never easily accessed by the public, and their locations tended not to be widely advertised. The book could be anywhere in the world, or worse, it could have been lost or destroyed centuries ago. Hermione can only wonder if Harry has found the ritual, or if, like them, he was still looking. She also can't stop thinking about spotting an junior, and wondering what he might have been doing in Denmark. His appearance had raised many more unanswered questions, leaving Hermione and Draco to wonder if he had been looking for the same thing they had, or if it had just been a strange coincidence. It worries her, but there isn't much she can do about it, so she pushes the subject to the back of her mind. The days of June pass quickly, the weather in Poland growing warmer and warmer each day until, finally, Hermione has to put on a cooling charm over the study. She is taken to tidying up her curls into a knot on the top of her head to keep it out of her face while reading, her neck and shoulders staying cool without the thick curtain of hair around them. She and Draco spend entire days researching, starting after breakfast and stopping only for lunch before ending the day with free time after dinner. Hermione continues to cook extra for Draco, which he eventually gives up protesting to, most likely due to the exhaustion of spending full days reading book after book. Their energy has dwindled quickly, leaving them tired in the evenings, seeking solitude in their respective bedrooms after dinner has been cleaned up but their exhaustion does nothing to quell their continuing arguments, despite the fact that they have both grown curiously used to each other's company. Working almost around the clock in such close proximity makes them both restless, Hermione for company, for stimulating conversation that she would try to pry out of Draco as often as she could. She liked to pick subjects she knew they disagreed on, relying on the fact that she would engage in conversation if he was able to argue against her though there were some days that he would only grow frustrated with her incessant jabbering and would decide to go to take a walk instead. Other times they would take turns apparating into town just to get out of the house, if only for an hour or two. Hermione spends his time in cafes or bookshops, exploring the city of Warsaw and its historical sites before returning to headquarters, feeling refreshed and ready to take on more research. Draco prefers to go out at night, where Hermione isn't sure, but she doesn't think it's any of her business to ask. He always returns after a few hours, like clockwork, though most often she has already fallen asleep. The last few times Draco had left, she had woken to the sound of his return to find it just after midnight. Tonight he's been gone much longer than usual. It's nearly half one now. A bout of insomnia has been keeping her up lately, and Hermione, much to her dismay, is slightly worried about him. Paranoid, really, especially after the recent run-in with a junior Death Eater. 
She paces the length of the living room over to the kitchen and peers out of the window to search the clearing, as if just by looking she might be able to summon him home. She's been keeping herself busy with her puzzle, and drinking cup after cup of her favourite nighttime tea, as if it's dreamless sleep, which she's been avoiding taking until it becomes absolutely necessary. Funny how they'd so thoroughly prepared for almost all aspects of this investigation or journey, and yet they hadn't come up with a system to contact each other if they got separated. She has half a mind to apparate into Warsaw to look for him, but it's late, and the city is too big for her to have much luck searching alone. Besides that, Draco would probably kill her if she came looking for him, and she knows he'd probably get annoyed, and that they would end up in an argument about how Hermione needs to put away the urge to come to the rescue of everyone and everything. Wandering to the washroom to empty her bladder, she scoffs out loud at how she's trained herself to predict their arguments in her head, and knows just what Draco would say and how he would say it, in that snarky drawl he'd love to use, in that low octave and his voice sounding so comfortable in. Although he always manages to catch her off guard somehow. After expelling the four mugs of tea she's had over the past hour and a half, she washes her hands under the cold water in the sink, her eyes meeting themselves in her reflection in the mirror above the basin. It's been a while since she's really looked at herself. She searches all of the parts of her face that used to be familiar to her. The freckles on her nose, her brown eyes, which are tired and weary. She studies the prominent brow of her lips, their pink colour, the chin that has so often been told was an exact copy of her mother's. She regards the curls that have come loose from the knot on top of her head. She looks at it all, and for the first time ever, wonders if this is what Draco sees when he looks at her too. She traces a thumb over the sharp lines of her collarbone, and wonders if they're as feminine as she perceives them. She looks at her breasts, the points of her nipples just visible through the material of her shirt. And she looks at her shoulders and her neck, which she has always felt to be too long. She wonders if Draco has ever actually looked at her the way she's looking at herself now, if he's noticed singular features, or only seen the whole. She thinks that when you start to know a person, to really notice them, you begin to see each part, each facet that makes them whole. They become sharper this way. People start out soft, as if in a dream, a figure that blends together with no real edges, like watercolour paint. As you get to know them, pieces of them come into focus. You begin to see what they are made of. Strong chins, thin lips, a nose like from a Grecian statue, an Adam's apple like a sharp stone bobbing in his throat, that muscle that runs from behind his ear down his neck to the dip of his clavicle, hands, long fingers, short nails, veins, tendons taut like string under his skin. The details are better than the full picture, because they make a person real. They become something physical, something tangible, rather than a foggy idea in your head. People being soft and in all shades of black and white. Attention, notice, renders them in rich colour, in crisp, sharp lines that you can no longer blend together in the same careless ways you can raise them before like turning up the sound all the way and hearing every note, rather than a jumbled harmony of chords. She runs a finger across her lips, parting them slightly as her thumb pulls the bottom one down. 
she traces the round curve of her jaw towards her ear, pulling at a piece of hair that dangles beside it. She looks at each piece of herself, and she tries to picture them from his eyes. She doesn't worry about what he thinks, just wonders what he has noticed. A sudden curiosity burns within her, a sharp pull of remembrance, a realisation of how long it has been since she has been touched. Her fingers fall down, down, down to her ribs and under her shirt to her warm breast. Her thumb falls over her nipple and she inhales a sharp, quiet breath as it grows hard under her cold fingers. She brushes past it once more, goosebumps rising over her neck and stomach. Her touch fell light as she moves to the other breast. Her chest rises and falls with each shallow breath. Her palm, fingers, dancing over the soft flesh. She shuts her eyes, feels the pull, ache, and thinks about fingers other than her own. Hands, long fingers, short nails. She doesn't dare wander lower, setting a line firmly in place. A flash of grey behind her lids, a tinge of ice blue, and then bright white. She doesn't let herself think about what it means. Her hardened nipples brush against the fabric of her shirt, and she lets her head fall back as she puts the weight of her breast in one palm. The sharp noise of breaking glass makes her jump. She pulls her hand from under her shirt, taking the head as she opens her eyes and sees her reflection in the mirror. Her cheeks are pink, her pupils wide, and she quickly chastises herself for acting so stupid, so wanton, when she should have been worrying about Draco, trying to get some sleep so she could be up early tomorrow to resume her research. She straightens her shirt and pulls open the door, wand pointed, and breath in her throat. She exhales a momentary sigh of relief when she sees him, leaning against the counter with a broken cup in his hand. The relief is washed away again when she notices the blood on his face. His bottom lip is split and there are drops of bright red blood all over his white shirt. A bruise blooms over one of his cheekbones and his shirt has been untucked from his trousers. Hermione holds in a gasp of surprise, her gut swirling with a new kind of worry as she searches the rest of his body for more signs of injury. She finds none. When she finally looks back up at his face, his eyes meet hers, and glazed over and slow to move, a soft grimace on his lips. He's a mess, hair dishevelled, out of rope slung haphazardly over the back of the chair, the top few buttons of his shirt pulled open. Malfoy, what? Are you all right? Her legs move instinctively towards him, casting a simple diagnostic spell as she does. I'm fine he huffs, glaring at her as she approaches, her eyes scanning the diagnostic frantically. And he is. Fine. He only has a split lip, a small bruise growing on his cheek and a few bruised knuckles. The blood on his shirt must have come entirely from his split lip, unless it's someone else's blood. She reaches him, backing him up further against the counter and taking his chin immediately in her fingers, turning his head towards her despite his grumbled protests. What happened? She frowns, inspecting his lip with a critical eye. He lets out an irritated scoff, and Hermione catches a whiff of alcohol in his breath, wrinkling her nose as Draco tries to pull his chin from her grasp. You're drunk. She looks up and finds his eyes already on her, 
looking down his nose as he grabs her wrist and pulls her hand away from his face. I'm not drunk, Granger. I had a few drinks. It's not a crime. He steps away from her, tossing the broken glass into the bin as Hermione studies him. What happened to you? Draco turns back to her, grinning bitterly, and paces the few steps back to where she stands. Concerned for my well-being, Granger. How predictable. Oh, shove off, Malfoy. Do we even want to know what you've been up to during your late-night gallivants across Warsaw? You know you can't be taking risks like this. Turning away from her, Draco opens a cupboard door and reaches inside to get a new glass, flashing her his purple knuckles as he does. Piss off, Granger. You're worse than my mother. He turns the tap on, the water dribbling into the glass as he glares down into the sink, avoiding her penetrating stare. He winces when he brings the cup to his lips, hissing through his swallow as the cold water meets the open sore, a bit of his blood remaining on the rim when he pulls it away. Will you at least sit down and let me heal it? She pushes, pulling one of the chairs back noisily from the table and gesturing to it with a tilt of her head. Draco glares at her, grumbling under his breath before swallowing the rest of his water. He hesitates for a moment, looking defiantly between Hermione and the empty chair beside her as the muscle in his jaw works overtime in contemplation. You're being stubborn. You're being pushy. I'm trying to help you, she grits, growing impatient. You might be trying, but you'll need to be less of a bitch then, he sneers his nostrils flaring as he sets his cup down and strides over to the chair, flopping down with a woolly, begrudging resignation. Hermione rolls her eyes, stepping in front of him and using her palm to push his back against the chair. He watches her and she tilts his jaw up again, pressing her thumb into his chin to pull his bottom lip away from his top. Despite his murderous stare, she avoids his eyes focusing instead on vanishing the blood on his face and clothes before beginning the spell to heal his lip. A fun night? she asks, filling in the tense silence that has fallen over them. She has to stand slightly between his knees to get to the right angle for the spell, and Malfoy is obviously stiff in his discomfort. Wouldn't you like to know, Granger? he says, a hint of teasing in his voice. Her eyes flash up to his and he raises an eyebrow his anger suddenly displaced with mischief. She imagines that the alcohol must have loosened him up slightly, and that his initial irritation with her has dulled to reveal it. She doesn't ask any more questions while she finishes with his lip, not wanting any movement to screw up her spellwork. When she's finished, she turns to the cupboard where they keep the medicine supplies, and pulls out a bruise paste made from fluxweed, not oblivious to the way Draco's eyes linger on her as she returns to her position in front of him. Dipping her finger into the container, she gathers a bit of the paste and reaches over, swiping it gently onto the greenish-purple bruise on his cheekbone. He expels a warm breath as her hand passes his mouth, and she is reminded suddenly about what she'd been doing before he'd come home. She takes a breath, pushing the thoughts from her mind. Draco's stare burns a hole into her face as she spreads the fluxweed paste carefully onto his skin, rubbing it in slightly with a light touch of her thumb like a caress. You're really not going to tell me what happened? She asks again. He doesn't mumble this time, nor glare at her. When her eyes flick to his, 
His face is clear of expression. He only watches her intently, his brow slightly furrowed in thought. Surely my night was hardly as exciting as yours was. Tea and a puzzle. Careful, Granger, I might have to owl Madge to tell him you've gone off the rails. She gives him a look that she hopes expresses utter and amusement. Grabbing the hand of the arm, he rests lazily over the back of the chair. His hand is warm, the skin tough but soft. He stiffens at first, but forces himself to relax slightly as Hermione begins to rub the bruise paste across them, rubbing her thumb to massage the cream in gentle circles. I couldn't sleep. He licks his lips, his tongue falling over the newly closed skin of his bottom lip as his eyes flick over her face. And why is that? She swallows, dipping her fingers into the fluxweed paste once more and rubbing another layer over his relaxed knuckles. I was debating the risk-to-reward ratio of seeking you out in Warsaw to make sure you hadn't been stabbed to death in the Muggle pub. Worrying about me, Granger? The corner of his mouth pulls up in a lazy grin. She lets out a dry laugh. Only in so much as Madge would kill me if you got killed. Well, I'm still in one piece. You won't be denied the pleasure of my company for at least a little while longer. She flashes him a look, dropping his hand to put the lid back on the jar of paste. For a moment it's silent again, before Draco speaks, surprising her as she pushes the paste back into the cupboard. A man jumped me. Outside of a pub, took my money and tried to take the bag with my portkey. I had to hit him back to stop him from opening the bag and getting sent here. She closes the cupboard, turning to face him. Oh. Draco inspects his knuckles, flexing his fingers into a fist before looking back up at her. Does it hurt? she asks, turning slightly to wash her hands in the sink. The warmth that has sunken into her skin from Draco's hand disappears into the cold water. She hears Draco stand, and she dries her hands, catching his reflection in the window. He's watching her, perched on the edge of the table as he does the top two buttons of his shirt and fixes his collar. Not really. Alcohol is an excellent painkiller. Noted. She turns to find him smiling at her an easy, lopsided sort of grin as he inspects her with an inquisitive eye. "'What?' she spits, her neck growing hot under his appraisal. She crosses her arms over her chest as if protecting herself from wandering eyes. "'Tell me something about yourself, Granger. Something you've never told anyone, not even Potter or Weasley.' A sharp wave of shock ripples over her body. Draco had never really asked anything like this before, especially not this bluntly, this personal. She narrows her eyes playfully at him, keeping the rest of her expression neutral as he waits. You're going to have to get me drunk, Malfoy, if you want me spilling all of my secrets. He lifts a brow. You have secrets, then? Not the kind you're looking for, I'd expect. She brushes past him, a mixture of whiskey and his faded cologne filling her nostrils as she does, and makes her way into the living room, trying to make her escape. It isn't until she sits down on the sofa in front of her puzzle that she realises he has followed her. He plops down gracefully in his usual chair across from her, his stare prickling her skin as she searches with extra enthusiasm through the puzzle pieces. She's nearly halfway finished now, and the picture is finally starting to take shape. 
A moment or two passes, and then a long finger pushes over the exact puzzle piece she's been looking for. She looks up to meet Draco's expectant glare. Come on, Granger, do tell. I promise you I'm excellent at keeping secrets. Her heart beats erratically in her chest, her stomach swirling with something she would call nerves or excitement. I'm afraid I'm only going to disappoint you, Malfoy. Draco lets out a light laugh settling back into his chair and resting his arms on the armrests as Hermione connects the puzzle piece in its rightful place. I'll do my best to pretend I'm not. I'm quite good at it when it comes to you. She shoots him a fierce glare and he rolls his eyes, making it clear he was only teasing, before motioning for her to get on with it. Fine. She chews her lip nervously for a minute before her mouth twitches into a smile. The room around them glows a warm yellow colour from the single lamp in the corner. She had opened a window earlier to let the breeze in, and now they can hear the melodic chirp of insects outside, filling the silence. Well, in first year, I fancied Harry just the teensiest bit for the first week of school. She blushes as she admits it, smiling to herself as she remembers her short-lived crush. Draco lets out an incredulous laugh as she flicks her eyes up to meet his, and catching the surprisement and enjoyment that passes over his face. I'm glad you came to your senses, Granger. What happened? I got to know him, she laughs, flipping a puzzle piece over and over between her thumb and forefinger. Don't get me wrong, I love him, but we were always only meant to be friends, and that became infinitely clear almost right away. Draco leans over, pushing two puzzle pieces together and attaching them, his eyes searching the table for more. And how is it that Weasley ended up being the better choice? he asks, looking up at her over the table as he places a puzzle piece down. His tone is light, mocking but not vicious, but Hermione gives him a deriding glare anyway. What and I just sort of... happened... I think I like how opposite we were. I wanted that balance in my life. He was always so easygoing where I wasn't, so quick to laugh where I was serious. Sometimes I let logic get in the way of how I felt, and Ron made it seem like things were always much more simple than I made them out to be. He was like a breeze, the way he carried things so effortlessly. But there came a point when I needed help carrying things that were harder to bear, and he blew past them without even helping me face them. We were too different. It doesn't mean that I loved him any less for it, it just didn't work out. For a moment, Hermione is stunned that she's admitted all of this to Draco. It had fallen past her lips without even a thought, without her questioning the receptiveness of her listener. For some reason, she feels comfortable telling all of this to him. Even knowing of his grudge against Ron, his viciousness towards both of her best friends at one point. You two never made any sense to me, Draco says leaning his elbows on his knees as he scans the puzzle pieces further, his eyes flicking up briefly to hers before he pulls them away again. I don't think that sort of thing is supposed to make sense, she replies, pushing a piece towards him, one that fits in the small section he's been working on. I certainly spent enough time denying it. Ron wasn't exactly the write your poems, buy you flowers kind of guy. His idea of romance was a meal washed down with a few butterbeers. Draco tilts his chin to look up at her, his expression serious as his brow furrows slightly. Don't 
tell me Weasley never got you flowers. Hermione shrugs, abandoning the puzzle and letting herself relax into the sofa. She pulls her legs up onto the cushion, hugging her knees to her chest as a particularly cool breeze flows through the room. Draco flicks his wand to shut the window, his eyes not leaving her. No, but I do suppose anyone thinks I'm the type of girl who wants to receive them. They'd be wrong. I was always given books instead. Apparently, clever girls don't need grand gestures. It never really bothered me, though. I've always thought it was strange to be gifted something you have to watch die. Kind of morbid, if you really think about it. Draco lifts an eyebrow, the corner of his mouth twitching slightly. I think that's what someone who wants to receive flowers but never has might say. She can't help but laugh. Pratt, Pratt. Maybe. Although I haven't really had much time to think about it, I suppose. I'm sure you must be appalled, considering pure-blood courting rituals ensure no expanse is spared when it comes to romantic gestures. Draco shrugs. I suppose, but after my courtship with Pansy began, I worried less and less about those things. Pansy's love language was mostly... physical. Hermione feigns an exaggerated sound of disgust. Please, spare me the details, she jokes, taking a sip of the tea that has gone cold in her mug. Come now, Granger, you don't want to hear about what an excellent snog I am. You always have been overconfident in your own skills, Malfoy. He gives her a devilishly challenging look, cocking his head to one side, his eyes narrow slightly on her. That's so. She shrugs. I'm only being honest. And what with the ego you had in school, I'm surprised your head isn't permanently inflated. I can assure you, Granger, that my confidence in the manner of my snogging skills comes from the assurance of those who have been on the receiving end. It's not something I'd be able to measure for myself otherwise. Hermione swallows, sensing his need for self-preservation and his growing vexation with her arguments. She pushes further, her lips twitching with a knowing grin. Are you quite sure, Malfoy? I thought I heard Tracy Davis tell Parvati Bafil that your snogging abilities were quite average. Clearly having been provoked into a gravation, Draco sips on his coffee before slipping the tip of his tongue into his cheek huffing a dry laugh out of his nostrils as he shakes his head. His eyes are dark, a sort of muddled mixture of playfulness and desperation to prove his point. Hermione's mouth goes dry as she watches him consider her for a moment. Tracy Davis kisses as if her tongue had been petrified. I hardly think she's an authority on quality snogging. I don't know, Malfoy. I think... She's unable to finish her sentence. A cut off when Malfoy pushes himself abruptly up from his chair. His eyes laser-focused on her as he takes two long strides around the coffee table to reach her. She feels her heart rise in her throat as Draco leans forward, his hands falling to the back of the couch near her head to cage her in as he gives her a look of pure challenge, a warning that to prove his point there are no lines that he will not cross. Her breath trapped in her ribcage just below her stuttering heart, and Manny watches Draco lean towards her, slowly, closer and closer, his scent everywhere as his eyes trail down towards her lips before meeting her gaze. She's sure he's watching for her to wait for her to chicken out, 
to squeal, duck her heads, to run away. This is a game to him, a last-ditch effort to prove her wrong. Her pulse thrums unsteadily in what feels like a very point in her body as Draco's head moves closer and closer to her, his hands pressed against the cushions on either side of her shoulders. How would you know, Granger? His voice is nearly a whisper, low and gravelly and undeniably seductive. She sucks in a shaky breath through her nostrils when his lips brush the shell of her ear, his warm breath ghosting over her hair, whiskey and something sweet as his nose grazes her temple. I can assure you that it's not the voice in my head that's got me so sure you're wrong. It's not the voice in my head that tells me to keep going, even when they're so out of breath they're gasping for air. But how would you know, Granger? She feels his knee brush hers, feels it down to her toes, when his thumb twirls a curl at the back of her neck that has fallen from her bun. His hands so close to her he hasn't even had to move them to do so. She sucks in a shaky breath as he turns his head ever so slightly, the tip of his nose brushing against her cheekbone, his lips hovering mere centimetres above the corner of her mouth. Should I show you? The words hit her the same way ashes spit from a fire, might hit skin, each one landing with a sharp bite, burning and then warming her as they leave their mark. You wouldn't, Malfoy. You wouldn't kiss me, even to prove a point. A soft, husky laugh against her cheek. Are you sure about that, Granger? She's frozen in place now. Couldn't move even if she wanted to. He has her right where he wants her, and he knows it. And she can feel his victory radiating off him. The confidence with which he traps her here unmistakable. Sometimes it's easy to accept that you don't know everything, he breathes, his breath fanning across her skin, and sending an unwarranted shiver down her spine. Then he is suddenly pulling away, a victorious smile dancing across his lips, his eyes flashing with an almost malignant triumph as she exhales the breath she's been holding. He straightens fully, his hands leaving the back of the couch as he takes a step back. It being no secret that whatever game he has been playing, he's won. Night, Granger. And then, with a final look of pleasure over her defeat, he's gone from the living room, his footsteps retreating up the stairs as Hermione tries desperately to catch her breath. Today of all days, Hermione is regretting her decision to turn their desks into one large surface. This specific configuration forces them not only to face one another, but to constantly be bumping feet when one of them stretches out their legs. It doesn't help that neither of them has addressed last night's incident, or that Draco seems to be doing the extra mile to reset whatever boundaries he had crossed with his half-drunken demonstration. He's been especially moody today, snapping at her easily and avoiding her gaze across the surface of the desk. She has forced herself to dismiss all of the confusion he stirred up within her last night. She knows that his little game had only been the product of a combination of alcohol and a need to prove his point, and that thinking anything more of it was a waste of her time. She has better things to worry about. Her eyes flick up involuntary to look at Jaco. He's studying a small book they'd found on dark blood magic, written in French. 
His proficiency in language was certainly one of the greatest assets they had right now. As like Hermione, he was also fluent in Latin, and talented at translating various kinds of runes. She watches him dip his quill into a vat of ink by his elbow, jotting notes into his journal with his brow furrowed in concentration. Closing the book she's just finished, she spins herself lightly in her office chair, shutting her eyes as she feels the disappointment of hitting another dead end. Her mind reels with thoughts of what to do next, recalling the details of what Freya had said to them in her office that day in Copenhagen. She's already been replaying it over in her head in the week since their meeting, and she has it memorised almost word for word, but no matter how many times she goes over their conversation, she finds no new revelations in it. Freya had told them everything she knew. As far as Hermione could tell, there were no hidden messages or codes under Freya's honest confessions. Only facts. Facts that they had already sucked the marrow from, emptied of possibilities until they felt silly for even spending time focusing on them. She is lost, not sure where to go next, and she's scared. She's scared that she won't be able to find Harry, that she's lost him forever, and it feels like she's drowning. Opening her eyes, she finds Draco watching her. He lifts a slightly condescending eyebrow, noticing the weary expression that has fallen over her face. Drowning. How much longer could she hold her breath? How long until air ran out for good? How long do you think you could hold your breath underwater? Draco's expression blooms into familiar exasperation. What in Merlin's name are you talking about, Granger? How long could you hold your breath, if you had to? Honestly, Granger, these stupid questions you ask. She's undeterred from his scowl, the quick roll of his eyes. My brain is spinning translating these runes. It just sort of popped into my head. He looks at her, leaning back in his chair as he runs a tongue along his bottom front teeth, not responding. What if you were in a life-threatening situation that required you to hold your breath for a long period of time? Come on, Malfoy, humour me. He lifts a shoulder in a shrug, his eyes not leaving hers. His glare softens slightly, but only slightly. Considering I have absolutely no content for an estimate, I have no clue, Granger. Any other asinine questions you'd like to ask? She frowns at him. Not at the moment, no. He nods, satisfied, dropping his eyes back to the page of his book. Aren't you going to ask me? A soft growl of vexation rips quietly from his throat as he meets her glare again, his eyes flickering with aggravation. How long do you think you can hold your breath, Granger? Want to find out? I could go and run the bath. You stick your head under and I'll count to a thousand. Are you threatening to drown me? I'm only suggesting it because it would mean I wouldn't have to hear you talk, if only for a few minutes. She gives him a fierce glare as his lips pull up into a dry, condescending smile. You're... aggravating. I'm trying to focus. We're no closer to finding this ritual than we were last week, or the week before. If Freya was never able to find it, I'm not sure how we... Well, I sometimes wonder if we're going to be able to pull this off. There must be something she's not telling us. Draco sighs. 
closing his book and tossing it away onto a pile of scattered parchment. Hermione shakes her head, standing from her chair to pace the room. Sometimes it helped her to pace. She liked to pretend that by moving her body she could get her thoughts moving as well. I keep wondering that too, but I've gone over it so many times already. There are some pieces of the puzzle that only the pure of heart can solve. Then she said that there is knowledge that she has yet to possess, that she may never be able to possess. She told us what she knows, and admitted there are things she doesn't, and it's pretty clear she hit her own dead end. Draco's brows pull together as he crosses his arms, his eyes glazing over with thought. Only the pure of heart. And what does she mean by that? It starts to rain outside. The fat drops hitting the glass of the window in a resonating plunk. Hermione looks out of the window for a moment at the dark clouds over the clearing before turning to face him. I think she's referring to the fact that we ask for information instead of taking. She said something about knowing that we, and Harry, had pure intentions because we asked her instead of obtaining the information through force. It's Draco's turn to shake his head, his hand falling onto his neck to scratch thoughtfully. It sounds too specific. Even if someone were pure of heart, even if they were evil, it wouldn't stop them from getting information. Hermione's heart drops. She thinks he might be right. She might have missed something. So, what? You can only find the book if you don't intend on using the hallows. Do you think that it could be guarded by magic that understands intention? A ward that detects malintent? The magic would have to be powerful. Hermione doesn't even know if that kind of magic exists. Draco turns his head to look out of the window, watching the rain fall harder, drops trickling down in long streaks down the glass. I don't know if it's possible to create a ward based on purity of heart, he replies, voicing her thoughts out loud. She sighs, pushing her chair back so she can go to make herself tea. What if... She pauses in the doorway, turning to look at him. His eyes flash with sudden realisation, jumping to hers as his brows twitch upwards, enlightened. What if she didn't mean pure heart, metaphorically? Or what if she meant, like, literally? It hits her like a knife to the sternum. Sharp, instant understanding. You mean... Pure blood. What if she meant that only pure blood wizards can access the book? Her heart trips over itself in an effort to keep up with the sudden adrenaline rush. Malfoy, that's genius! It comes out in a rush, hiding on an exhaled breath of astonishment. I just wish I'd thought of it before, he says, standing from his chair and turning to the bookshelf in the corner to search through their growing collection of tomes. Purebred libraries are revered in their own exclusivity, owned by purebred families and treated like muggles do with expensive art. A collection to be looked at and admired more than it's actually used. No one is allowed in or out without permission from the family, and usually not without an invitation first. No wonder Freya wasn't able to find the book. They'd never let a squib set foot in one. Hermione watches him pull a tome from the shelf, fingering through the thin pages before sliding it back in its spot. You don't think Malfoy Manor... No, he shakes his head, turning to her and eyeing the bare skin of her shoulders. His eyes trip momentarily down to the dip of her skirt, 
It's an especially humid day and she's chosen a light sleeveless blouse that fits loosely and displays her collarbones. She suspects that Malfoy has never seen this much of her skin before, but he tears his eyes away and looks down at the table before she has time to process the way he'd taken her in, the slow way he'd trailed his gaze, almost unknowingly, over her freckled shoulders and downward. The manor library isn't like that. Besides, I know every last book in it, and there aren't any on blood rituals. The Ministry went through them after the war to remove anything untoward. They took a few from Father's personal collection, but those dated as far back as the 17th century. A few on dark curses, one on horcruxes. Nothing that would be of any help to us. Draco leans his hands forward on the desk, resting his weight on them as his fringe falls over his forehead. He looks up at her through it, swallowing as he does. How many of these libraries are out there? She asks, ignoring the sudden instinct to reach up and push the hair from his forehead. He has rolled the sleeves of his cotton oxford up to his elbows, and a vein in them moves with the tendons in his lean muscles under the weight of his body. Only a few, but I think I know someone who might be able to help. Ever been to Austria, Granger? She shakes her head no, her heart pattering in her chest. Closer and closer and closer. She can almost feel how close they're getting to him. Malfoy looks slightly unnerved as he pushes away from the desk, settling back into his chair and pulling out a blank piece of parchment. Looks like it's time to visit an old friend of mine. She's not sure how to decipher the mixture of unease and soft familiarity in his voice, as if the term old friend wasn't as straightforward as it sounded, as if he had mixed feelings about whichever acquaintance might be able to grant them access to a library they desperately needed to search. She watches with curiosity as Malfoy addresses the letter, neat, even handwriting, spelling each letter out with palpable apprehension. When he's done, and when he's able to see the full name written at the top of the parchment, she recognises it right away. Theodore Knott. (laughs) 